Hello and welcome back to the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. Coming up on episode 65, we explore innovative closed loop business models for London's Circular Economy Week. And I think that's what's going to genuinely feel that's what's going to save the planet. We, we generate these new business models that are inherently less resource intensive and they are better than linear uh, business models and that's how we're going to save the planet. And we get into the community spirit by tucking into a big lunch. It is possible that if you can get people to come together and reconnect as human beings over food, if that can, that, that can be done, that everything is possible. And we visit the world's first plastic-free commercial centre. What's been helpful for us is the fact that we've had this one sort of campaign to work within, and I think that's what's kind of helped drive the momentum, the fact that we've, we've pursued this, um, you know, this plastic-free community status, and it's, it's really kind of um, drawn the teams together here. So yes, hello and welcome back to uh, ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast, uh, hosted by our content editor Matt Mace, that's me, and our reporter Sarah George, that's you Sarah, say hello. Hi guys. As is becoming increasingly the case, this episode is going to be a a slight deviation from the traditional format, which usually involves myself, Sarah, James and Luke, huddled around the proverbial fire that is our makeshift studio. Instead, it'll just be um, Sarah and I for this episode, basically because we've been um, the ones that put in the legwork, so I feel like we deserve to take the credit. Not entirely true. Um, it's it's a really busy time for us still. I thought it would all die down post ED Live, but um, you thought wrong. You, you thought <laughs> terribly, terribly wrong. As as is often the case with my thoughts in fairness, Sarah. The last time our listeners heard from you was actually before ED Live, before the two live episodes from that show, which are available to download or listen to via iTunes or Spotify. I encourage all our listeners that haven't done so to do so. What have you been up to over the last manic month or so, and indeed probably over the last manic. 12 hours or so. Yeah, well, um, backtracking a bit from, from the past 12 hours, so at ED Live, I had the chance to chair my first ever panel discussion. It's the first time I've done public speaking, and that was on um, what the future of energy management looks like with some of our 30 under 30. Um, I also had the chance to sit down with Sarah Ditty from Fashion Revolution and Neliana Fuenmayor from a transparent company to talk about my favourite topic, which is... Um, sustainable fashion and it's just been equally non-stop uh, since then to be honest and I mean last night I was dreaming in in net zero. Yeah it's, it's probably um, a good place to start in, in fact I, I've, I've typed out a little script for this to follow um, I don't usually do but it's what Luke does so I thought I'd, I'd be all official and the script's just been I mean it's just had to be teared up from the start so um, this podcast was recorded Wednesday 12th of June for those that are listening a bit later um, the day before the night before half 10 um, on the Tuesday the well Prime Minister Theresa May her last probably her last official act as Prime Minister was to agree to set a legally binding net zero carbon target for 2050 which I mean it's huge mm. um, it was all that was on my, my LinkedIn timeline, what was on my Twitter feed this morning, all the nationals have covered it. Um, and it's for, for a legacy from Theresa May that's probably going to be remembered by Brexit failure after Brexit failure. This is an, a nice little uh, footnote to end on, really. And I, I say footnote, it's actually, actually um, huge. And I was going to actually bring back one of our kind of common features for this episode later on, which was the sustainability success story of the week. Mm-hmm. I feel like... 
There's nothing else that it could be. Okay, so <laughs> let's just pretend we haven't mentioned Net Zero yet, and then I'll I'll jump forward a little bit. It's time for our sustainability success story of the week. And I was I was hoping there was going to be like a little klaxon or a little jingle or something. So maybe that's a maybe that's a note for me to do. Find a klaxon. So Sarah, we we've already mentioned it, but perhaps it's a good time for you to go in a little bit more detail about the success story of the week about this Net Zero target. Yep. Um, great. Thanks for putting me on the spot as if I'm the expert on the target. Um, no, so the target was announced, as we said, at 10.30pm last night, and it's going to be laid before Parliament um, later today, at which point MPs will be given the chance to date the specifics, the niggly little bits um, of the plans, but not to withdraw them completely. The government has committed to it, so it's going to be law, hopefully, by, by the end of, end of today. Great, great stuff. So yeah, I think I think now it's just uh, it's just waiting to see what the the roadmap looks like. There's questions mm. around the future carbon budgets. It's already been announced by them that offsetting and international climate credits will remain part of their approach, which I suppose muddies the waters a little bit. But yeah, it's certainly um, certainly a story to keep an eye on in that sense. But the the theme of this podcast is is actually nothing to do with with net zero. It was just something so big we had to mention it. Um, last night really did scupper the plans for this. In that sense, <laughs> the theme for this podcast is all around the circular economy. The reason being, for those who don't know, that this week is actually London Circular Economy Week, and I, I feel sorry for the organisers because I feel like they've had their thunder stolen somewhat there. Um, it's a week dedicated to driving resource efficiency in the capital and despite what I just said the annual event couldn't actually be better timed Um, we're getting daily announcements from retailers such as Waitrose, Audi and Sainsbury's outlining attempts to reduce plastic packaging um, and provide incentives to ensure the recyclability of single-use items and of course on Monday night Hugh Fernley Whittenstall made his much anticipated TV return with his War on Waste series this time um, targeting plastics. My my 9pms on weekdays are usually kind of left for Love Island and my WhatsApp is usually going crazy uh, with people messaging me about Love Island. I'm, I'm completely unashamed of admitting that I, I enjoy that show. Um, Monday night it was it was a nice little WhatsApp conversation between you and myself about War on My series. What did you think of the War on Plastics? Um, well I've been writing about this topic for ED for just over a year so I thought oh it'll just be Stuff that I've all heard before, they'll use the same imagery, same case study, like we're all becoming slightly desensitised to it, I think, even though it is so important. But a lot to learn. I liked the layout and how they particularly focused the spotlight on um, basically where exactly this plastics is coming from and where it's ending up on a relatable basis. Mm. And they did that by looking at where plastics in normal British households um came from and then going to alleged recycling plants in Malaysia where councils are exporting their waste as well so seeing that and making it real I think was very important yeah I was interested to see how he would take the conversation on further in Mm. in that sense as you you mentioned I yeah I, I was quite shocked actually by some of the stuff I found out I thought I was quite clued up on it and um, especially the kind of I suppose bootleg recycling plants that were out there in Malaysia were just a real kind of stark wake-up call to it all and it'd be interesting to see what kind of movement this has because his previous stuff especially on coffee cups really kind of kick-started a a new Mm. conversation Um, and it'll be interesting to see how supermarkets and councils do react 
His stuff um, is, that. I find, very hashtagable, and I yeah. liked that they sort of turned to the camera and spoke to the people listening directly. I think that all. I like the community involvement in it as well. Mm-hmm. There was that street in Bristol, wasn't there? That old woman who um, wouldn't give up her cheese wedges. Um, no, but eventually she she yeah. found the um, <laughs> the wax. Yeah, wax the, the milk wax the milk and more um, delivery for the wax cheese, which was yeah really really good stuff. And um, actually, the first segment of this podcast does have a focus on that kind of community spirit which was evident in that episode um it's taken uh, me a bit longer anticipated to explain that this episode is focused on london second economy week but before that sarah you lined up an interview that kind of ties well into the into the themes of, of circularity and also that community spirit we just discussed yeah so that call was with the eden project's executive director peter stewart um who got in touch to talk about the organization's big lunch campaign and we've actually just missed it for this year but if you're super keen it's always the first <laughs> weekend in June Um, and it's a national event by which communities, streets, it doesn't have to be streets, it's run in hospitals, um, schools as well, come together to share a lunch and share some time um, together and um, obviously the social sustainability benefits of this are immediately obvious Um, but I was interested to talk to him about how he thought that would fit in with um, circular economy principles, um, just because we're t- seeing a lot more um, coming out around the rental and sharing um, economies, I've found, and isolation actually does force us to buy mm. more. If you live, if everyone lives in a house by themselves, and that's going to be one washing machine, one dishwasher, one vacuum cleaner, one screwdriver per person, but if everyone shares those items between a group of 20, that's 19 less of those items taken out, so much more efficient use of resources. Completely agree. Okay, so let's enjoy Sarah's chat with the Eden Project's Executive Director, Peter Stewart, um, and then join us for the second part of this episode, where we will speak to the experts behind London Circular Economy Week. Enjoy. Right, so this morning I'm joined on the phone with Peter Stewart, the Executive Director of the Eden Project, who is actually not in Cornwall today and is up in London, who will be talking to us about closer communities and how they can bring social, environmental and economic benefits. How are you doing, Peter? What are you up to? Uh, Well, yeah, good morning. Um, Yes, I'm in London and uh, I usually reside in in Cornwall, but I tend to do a lot of stuff um, around the country and this morning I'm in the capital, yeah. Mm. And it's all because of this thing that you um, pitched to us before, so this campaign called The Big Lunch, which is this yeah. annual event in June aimed at encouraging people to get together, share food and share experiences, um, whether that's across just a neighbourhood, uh, led by an NGO or a non-profit, um, within a hospital or, or within a school. Um, and I was interested to read that since it launched, they reckon they've got 38 million new connections um, going. So I just wanted to ask um, you, Peter, to give an overview of like how this project um, came about and, and what it aims to do. Yeah, thank you. Thank you. And, and anybody who um, doesn't know the, what the Eden Project is, I mean, apart from a place down in Cornwall with big greenhouses, um, uh, we, we're actually underpinning it as a charity, and that charity is, is really about if we were better connected with ourselves and um, more aligned with the natural world, we'd all be in a better place to be able to cope with all the scary things that are coming over the horizon. Um, and the big lunch is a, is a kind of a, 
uh, an idea which came out of that. Um, it's actually 10 years old, um, 10 years young, I should say, this year in 2019. It started um, with a very um, simple idea and a, and, a, and a kind of a question, a hypothesis, a bit, um, to get people to think, what would it be like uh, if you could stop the whole of the UK um, for a few hours on one day and encourage people to sit down and have lunch with their neighbours. Um, and when, you, when we mean seriously stop, you know, we mean like, God, what would it be like if you could, you know, the big out-of-town shopping centres <clears throat> and so forth would, would, would close and they would hand over their car parks to get cars off streets and people would reclaim the streets and just for one moment just be able to uh, sit with their neighbours and, and share food and just engage in conversation. Um, and we didn't want to, as the project, um, we didn't want to own it. Um, we wanted to be a part of the, you know, n a permanent date in the calendar. Uh, I suppose our closest way of thinking about it was, you know, what would it, you know, if you think about Thanksgiving Day in the States, mm. um, everybody knows what that is and everybody does certain things on that. Nobody kind of owns it. Um, so our kind of equivalent would be like Thanksgiving Day for neighbours. Um, and for the first um, weekend in June, we've kind of tried to hold that day to, to encourage people to do that. Um, you talked about the numbers. We started, you know, very humbly, you know, um, with some 300,000 in the first year. Um, and with great help from a range of partners, um, best one really, the National Lottery Community Fund, who really, really got behind it and worked with us hand in hand. Um, the last few years, we've had about six, um, hovered around six million people taking part every year. Um, and, and the research that sits behind that has kind of demonstrated that people make terrific connections. They feel happier, safer, um, and just almost understanding what it is to be human and go on to do other things. Um, and it's 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 almost like it's kind of building social capital in a in a in a mass on a mass scale, mm. um, and we've got a huge way to go. But um, and the next one is you know is coming up first and second of June, um, and in the context of whatever we read in the newspaper, we, our view is, God, if we ever needed there was a time to be able to get together and just have a have a have a have a drink or have a sandwich and just talk um maybe this is a really good time to do that mm. no so as you've explained there like the social and community benefits of of this are, are pretty tangible but when we were emailing about this um we were talking about how you think that that encourages people to be more environmentally sustainable as well how do you think that relationship between yeah. the well, social and environmental several several i mean i i did it did a talk only a couple of couple of days ago in Northern Ireland and we were talking about there's no small challenges are there they all seem to be massive you know big global ones big national big local um, issues um, and if you and, and as far as Eden is concerned we're, we're kind of trying to find where we kind of sit on that on that global stage when you think about population rises, 9 billion people by 2050, how do you feed them and all these things. And, and therefore, what can you inevitably do if you're sitting in the middle of a community and why does that, how does that connect to those massive, ma massive issues to do with climate change and so forth? Um, and it actually means a heck of a lot. Um, 
And the reason is, is that we, we feel, um, I think, you know, through the power of mobile phones, which are absolutely marvelous, is that you can connect to um, anywhere in the world within a nanosecond, but you actually don't know what's going on over the garden fence. Why is that important? Well, if you can start to be able to, to do that and start to be able to build more happier and resilient communities, we have found that they start to be able to go on to do other things. Now, some of those things can be incredibly simple. Um, so we have found, we've got evidence over the last 10 years where just coming together on one day of a food, people meet each other and they, and they start to be able to do things like um, car sharing, that they start to be able to develop community gardens. Mm. We have camps down in Eden where they start to be able to do community walks and they start to be able to come together for, for health and well-being things. So there's some practical things. Car sharing is quite a, cl a, a, a classic in there. But we've also found that people within certain communities have found it um, challenging to be able to kind of start to be able to do something. And we found that just through this kind of idea, that other ideas are spawned. So we have a lady um, in Eastbourne who started to be able to, who came to one of our camps, did a big lunch, and then on the, on the back of that set up a, a cycling um, community, so to be able to get people away from their cars. Um, I've always found the sharing economy something which is absolutely brilliant in principle. Um, but even when I look at it in my own street, you know, on, su on a Sunday, on a nice sunny Sunday afternoon on June, at about six o'clock on an evening, how many lawnmowers can you hear? You know, and you just kind of think, <laughs> God, isn't that really bizarre where actually if we actually got together we could actually have probably the best lawnmower that the, that the place has ever seen and share it among 10 houses. Now, a lot of this stuff is happening, um, which is really terrific, but we just need more and more and more of it. Um, and so there's a local thing which starts to be able to kind of work. And I think once you start to be able, it's not I, what I think, I think the evidence is starting to show to us is that when you start to be able to have a happier, safer more connected communities, more resilient communities, what happens then is that when you need a really, really serious step change, which everybody is going to have to go through on a, on a national and global, global um, moment, is that we're better placed to be able to do that than we are when, we're, when we actually don't know who lives below the, the flat below us and the flat um, above us. So there are some really, really good tangible benefits in terms of social and environmental change, which are already taking place. But I, I think, Sarah, the thing that, that I, I find is that it's, there's an impatience that we need to be doing it more of it and we need it to be done quicker um, because actually the hourglass has been turned on a whole host of things um, and we just need to be really, really um, really up the game in terms of uh, getting people involved in this type of work. Mm. And what do you think it will take to sort of up the game and expand this? Like, what would be your vision well, for, for us? A... I mean, for yeah. us, in just in our, in our field, um, you know, when I talked about, um, you know, talking about the ambition, um, what would it be like if you could actually stop the UK for a few hours mm. and do that? If we are saying, which we have done a... a quite a lot of research behind it and why the lottery people um, support it is because it actually does work um, 
Um, but, you know, we're still, even though I can think that I feel very happy that we get six million people participating, um, you know, what does it take for us to be able to get a permanent day in the calendar and, say, 20, 30 million people participate? What, does, what do we have to do to be able to do that? And that's really what we're starting to do. And, we, and we'd really like to do that um, by 2021. And when you think of those numbers, if you think about 20 million people um, participating at something at the same time, um, you know, you'd have to look for, say, when England were playing in the you know, World Cup semi-final, <laughs> semi-final, you've probably got somewhere around that. And if you're of a certain age like myself, um, you probably remember that Morecambe and Wise probably got those figures on Christmas Day. But you've, you'd struggle to be able to find that kind of number. And we know that because the, the thing works, if we can spread this very, very friendly virus um, uh, out to the whole of the UK and beyond, um, then, then actually good things, we know that good things will flow from that. Mm. Um, it won't... It won't crack all of the um, all of those issues. Will still be there, but we will be much better better placed to be able to take them on. Mm. Well, I think that at least in my lifetime, we've never been in a time where the power of people is more um, more more obvious, really, on climate and sustainability with the school yeah. strike for climate movement. So I have fingers crossed that you guys will have um have big plans this year and beyond. Yeah, I, it's interesting because you think you think. If you're just a man in the street, I mean, I, I, before I was going to come on to talk to you, you know, I was thinking about young people, I was thinking about mental health, I was thinking about issues to do with dementia, issues to do with isolation and, and loneliness. None of these issues are small. Um, so you just need to, and, but there, it is possible that if you can get people to come together and reconnect as human beings over food and just see the bigness comes at doing it at around the same time. Um, if that can, that, that can be done, and, and we show that, it is then within people's own individual, what they're about, and within a community, that everything is possible. Everything is possible. There isn't anything that we cannot do if we actually kind of pull together on these things. And it's almost like a, um, a moment to be able to do that. Well, I don't think there's any better way to end on than on that note. So, where where can listeners find their their nearest so, event? Yeah, thank, thanks, Sarah. I mean, um, uh, the um, hashtag is the big lunch, and thebiglunch.com is somewhere where you can go. And that, and as we and as we talk, you know, we've got a series of walkers out all walking around the UK at the moment. Um, four walks, one in each nation, um, all walking out, shining the light on communities. And if you go on to hashtag the big lunch, you'll be able to uh, see all of the, you know, they're knocking on doors as they go, as we lead up to the 1st and 2nd of June. Fantastic. Well, thank you so much for joining me today, Peter. I appreciate that you're probably very busy. So welcome back to ED's Sustainable Business Covered podcast. I hope you enjoyed that chat with Peter and are eager to take part in the next big lunch event. 
Um, I find it so strange that only one in five people, no sorry, I find it strange that one in five people have never spoken to their neighbours, um, although maybe that's because I'm A, a journalist, so I talk to people for a living, um, and B, I live in a flat where it's kind of impossible not to meet some sort of neighbour, um, although the people I speak to, people I live below, and I don't know if they're classed as neighbours, is that, I, you know, so, you know, if you live above them, are you strictly next door, or, um, I don't know, that's a question I'd like to know the answer to, but I am getting sidetracked here, so. No, that's too <clears> philosophical, <throat> absolutely. <laughs> I'll move swiftly on, but back on track, and back on with the next interview for this episode, so it's London and Circular Economy Week, and all the events that are taking place this week, um, all around circularity, there's some big involvement from the Ellen MacArthur Foundation, um, a lot of businesses, as well. WSP are doing a lot of stuff around it too, um, but it's all the brainchild of the London Waste and Recycling Board, commonly referred to as LWARB, and here at ED we've had a great relationship with LWARB in the past, whether it be speaking to um, Liz Goodwin, who's the chair of the board, um, or indeed Wade Hubbard, the chief executive. Sarah, you spoke to Wayne last year, one year on from the launch of the uh, London Circular Economy Programme. Um, and one year on from that feature, and so two years on from the launch of the roadmap, we again sat down with Wayne, um, this time in a podcast format, to discuss how the dial has kind of shifted on resource efficiency in the capital and how um, businesses can and are getting involved. So you're about to hear my chat with Orb's Chief Executive Wayne Hubbard at their offices in central London. So enjoy that. And then even though this has been a slightly shorter segment of the podcast, we'll be back for our final part where we um, ask Sarah and get her to explain why she was taking pictures of barefooted surfers in central London. So it's another week and another conversation we seem to be having uh, at the ED team around the circular economy. This time we are focusing it on a kind of city-wide level though. Uh, research suggests that London, um, a London transition to the circular economy could create net benefits of up to £7 billion per year and this week actually marks the annual circular economy week which is aimed to help drive a resource efficient and sustainable economy in the capital. Uh, the week is being led by the London Waste and Recycling Board's Circular London programme and I am now sitting down today with the board's Chief Executive Wayne Hubbard. So Wayne, thank you very much for inviting me for your offices uh, today. Um, so the Circular Economy programme was published in June 2017, targets a £50 million investment by 2020 to make the city a place where businesses and organisations operating it can use new systems to, to flourish basically so um, we're a couple of years on now in that journey and it'd be great to just get a, a kind of temperature check as to how you see the the program going where are we at yeah okay well um, we've just actually um, completed the final bit in the the jigsaw of our program which was um, the launch of our venture capital fund which was launched by the mayor and our chair Liz Goodwin um, a couple of weeks ago at City Hall so um, we've we're, we've rolled out our, our our business support offer to circular economy businesses in London and why that's important I'll come on and we can maybe explore a bit later on but um, I think we've launched the world's first public sponsored venture capital fund explicitly for circular economy businesses so we have a, a fund manager called MMC who uh, are very active in supporting small uh, uh, businesses and startups in London and beyond actually. They're based in London and they have £45 million pounds, uh, to invest in, uh, in startups, uh, of 14 of which, at least 14 of which, must be for circular economy 
startups. And in fact, their first investment in a circular business is one of the businesses that we're supporting in another part of our business support programme, which is our Circular Economy Accelerator, which is based here at our offices, our circular offices in Wilson Street, um, in London's Moorgate. Well, I should say Shoreditch, actually, because it sounds more trendy. <laughs> yeah. Um, and, um, yeah, so um, the programme um, is, the Circular London programme effectively is, has two parts to it, which is a business support programme, uh, venture capital, um, uh, and then uh, development capital. So when the business is a bit more established, we've got an investment in circularity capital, um, which is a fund um, headed by Jane Butworth, who used to be the chief exec of the Ellen MacArthur Foundation. Um, a very successful fund. They've raised something like 50 million from largely private oh, right. sector investors, and they are explicitly targeting circular economy, high, high growth businesses. Um, so we have an investment in that. And then um, we also have um, a, a circular economy business support team, um, which is funded by ELWOB and the European Union's ERDF programme. And that um, uh, uh, explicitly targets, again, circular economy businesses and provides them with essentially with business support, not, not sustainability support, mm. per se, but business support to enable those businesses to grow. So we have a very good offer, um, deliberately designed to support startups uh, all the way to maturity. So that final piece of the jigsaw went in just a couple of weeks ago. So very pleased about that. Yeah, it sounds um, like it's really accelerating along. It's amazing. Um, I think we're probably one of the best, most developed um, cities in Europe uh, in relation to circular economy thinking. It, you know, it's not just Elwob, of course. Um, we, we work with lots of corporates in London uh, and lots of other businesses. And we also work with uh, London's boroughs and the Great London Authority. And the Mayor of London has just published his. Um, I say just. They've just had their examination in public for their for the Mayor's London Plan, which is the development document for London. And within that, there's. Um, a, I'm sure you would have spotted a requirement for all uh, developers for referable referable applications, and those are planning applications that are significant in size. Okay. All referable applications must be accompanied by a circular economy statement saying how they'll minimise waste, how things can be reused and modular and all that kind of stuff. And we've been working with the GLA to develop circular economy guidance for the industry and we've been working with the industry to do that. I'm not aware of any city uh, in the planet that has that requirement. So London is leading on circular economy thinking and practice. That's great to hear and you touched on a couple of sectors already but are there any any kind of resources that are kind of drumming up a lot of interest not just amongst the kind of investors and the venture capitalists but in terms of the startups that are now being supported how you know what are what are they focused on is it is it just the collection of any kind of resource or are there are plastics still very much the hot topic or, or are we looking at built environment uh, materials as well or is it a bit of everything okay well um ask, uh, we published a circular economy route might be quite right in 2017 and before that, we'd, um, in 2015, when we started out on this journey, we did an analysis of what London's, um, I guess what we tried to, we tried to frame what London's properties were from a, from a resource perspective and from a circular economy perspective. And we identified um, five focus areas, um, built environment, textile, textiles, food, plastic, uh, and uh, waste electronic equipment or electronic equipment. I suppose and then we also identified some enabling sectors 
So um, looking at where London is strong um, and, and which particular sectors could help us to accelerate um, circular economy thinking fastest. And those were things like the government, you know, London has 33 local authorities, the Greater London Authority, but also, of course, national government is based here. University and education, we've got some of the world's leading education institutes. The media, largely based in London. Um, so, and finance, finance centre in the city of London. So, you know, we would like to see um, a programme or some programmes every, uh, you know, where, where those, if you imagine that as a matrix, you know, where those uh, enabling sectors meet with those focus areas, we could imagine having um, an interesting programme in each of those areas. In terms of the companies that um, we've been supporting, they're spread over those five focus areas. Mm. So we have, um, for example, companies that deliver uh, unpackaged goods to, to, to shops, um, uh, reducing the need for plastic. We have companies that um, produce um, clothing, for, leasing of clothing for babies, companies like Loopster, for example, who do that. We have um, New Wardrobe Limited, who are a peer-to-peer clothes-sharing platform. Um, we've even got a company that, um, I can't remember the name now, but they develop uh, a baby grow that, uh, that is made from a material that expands as your baby grows, so you don't need to buy yeah, I've seen that, new yeah. material, new, new clothes every year. Um, or, or every few months actually <laughs> and of course you probably would have heard of, heard of um, Uho Skipping yeah, Rocks yeah. Labs so they've got the seaweed uh, balls that are full of um, initially water but they were trialled at this year's London Marathon mm-hmm. with I think they distributed 36,000 filled with leucoside yeah. displacing all that single use uh, plastic you know, so, and that was a company that we've been that we supported a while back Cup Club for example as well who have a, 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 um, a leasing cup uh, proposition and Winnow Solutions who are um, uh, they won a circulars award mm. who we've been supporting they uh, uh, provide a, an a artificial intelligence solution for um, professional kitchens so they can help chefs reduce their food waste and increase their profit so you know this I have to say most of these businesses are just good ideas you know they're not um, they're not sustainable. Um, they're not sustainable. I'm going to say for the sake of being sustainable, but um, you know, th- this is why I think the strength of the circular economy is, is that these are things which people, um, businesses, and citizens, um, they use because they're good ideas, mm-hmm. not because uh, necessarily people feel they have to. And I think that's what's going to genuinely feel that's what's going to save the planet. We, we generate these new business models that are inherently less resource intensive and they are better than linear uh, business models and that's how we're going to save the planet and how we, Elwood, are going <laughs> to help that is by um, taking some of these businesses, mainstreaming them, uh, scaling them up and uh, making them available to citizens in London and hopefully beyond. Yeah, those, those new business models are 100% required as you've rightly said um, and, and since the since the kind of roadmap was launched, um, it's fair to say the conversation around resource efficiency has has just taken huge strides, largely through the lens of uh, single-use plastics. But it seems a lot more companies are now aware, and indeed, like citizens are aware, and want to actively reduce, you know, their their footprints of the resources they use, especially if they are kind of linear, as you mentioned. So, 
as as the appetite has got bigger, are you are you now seeing greater appetite for involvement in the program? Are you seeing are you now having different conversations with some of the businesses you're interacting with, and what yeah. are those? Yeah, it's it's been an amazing sea change actually. There's been a couple of things that have happened since we launched the route map. Yes, the plastics uh, uh, issue has exploded. We were involved in um, an, an Ella MacArthur Foundation project uh, around plastics called the New Plastics Economy, mm. which is kind of in the UK has, has, has morphed and become um, the plastics pact that RAP and the Ella MacArthur Foundation have led, and they're using that stamp across the globe. And that's something that's happened as a direct result of the focus on plastics. Um, it's not just plastics. Um, a lot of people now are focused on the fashion industry. Yeah, of course. And textiles. Um, so we've seen a, an amazing um, appetite amongst businesses, large and small, and consumers, um, around ways in which they can more sustainably engage with fashion. And we have our own um, communications program called Love Not Landfill, mm -hmm. which is aimed specifically at the 18 to 24 year old sector, which I think is probably the toughest sector, um, and trying to get those sectors to engage more sustainably by, for example, swapping, uh, leasing, or, or, or buying second hand. And, you know, that's a, and that actually is an award winning campaign. We're up for a host of awards this award season with that campaign. Um, so yes, um, it's incredibly, um, it's opened a lot of doors for us. Um, I think, uh, if I'm honest, we, we at Elwood need to be able to talk to corporates um, in, in the language that they understand. And, mm -hmm. you know, coming from the public sector, sometimes we, we find that difficult. But we've got a new head of circular economy going to be starting with us in a, in a, in a couple of weeks from um, a corporate sector. So hopefully that will help us. Um, speak the language to corporates and being part of the Anna MacArthur Foundation helps us as well because uh, the CE100 network is um, a, a great network for us to um, to engage with corporates and being in London of course which is the head office of many of these corporates is, uh, is a good is a good space for us to be in, being in the in the Shoreditch area um, but yes we've spoken to uh, lots of big corporates uh, some of them we're under NDA with, uh, but uh, we're doing a lot of work. So watch this space. Mm. And we've just done a press release actually around some work that we're doing um, on fashion with Ted Baker, for example, okay. um, helping them to develop a, s a more circular economy business uh, models and pilots and stuff. Um, so, yeah. And so, so what would success look like for you when, when kind of the, the dust settles and the, the timelines are hit? Bear in mind that capital's population is you know predicted to reach kind of 11 million by 2050 so there'll be more people consuming stuff in general what does success look like for you not just in terms of of london's capital but would you like to see a similar model replicated across other cities as well okay well that's so the, the, there's two there's two bits there the um you put your finger on it uh, the consumption of stuff mm. is what it's all about now um you know traditionally in the waste sector We've kind of been saddled with this uh, fairly intractable problem, which is um, in a capitalist society, we need to cons this is the, the, the model that we've, that we've kind of uh, been fed. In a capitalist society, we need to consume material things in order to enable that, that economy to grow. And um, given that the top of the waste hierarchy is trying to reduce waste, and at the end of pipe has um, 
uh, as municipalities, mm. um, what that effectively means is trying to stop people buying stuff. But of course, buying stuff is what enables our economy to grow. Mm. So we're left in this in this crazy catch twenty two. Well, the circular economy it, 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 it attempts, amongst other things, to move people away from the consumption of stuff into the use of services. So, for example, we don't buy CDs and DVDs and Blu-ray discs. We consume, uh, we, sorry, we use the service offered by streaming uh, applications. Um, we don't buy necessarily um, books, or maybe we're more choosy about the books that we buy. And in terms of mass consumption of literature, we use digital book services. So that's that's the kind of thing that I think uh, we'll see more of. Mm-hmm. And some of the businesses um, use technology to enable either uh, virtualization of things or mu- much more easier sharing of things or sharing of, uh, of surplus uh, excess stuff. So um, the future for me looks like a massively reduced uh, waste arisings and much more uh, around sharing things, freeing us from the burden of ownership. That's a, that's a really good point to end on, I think, and um, I'm actually going to dampen the mood a little bit because I do need to go and actually buy some batteries because the, the recorder <laughs> is about to go. So apologies for kind of uh, pushing us a little bit back towards the dinner economy in that sense, although there's loads of battery recycling facilities around in supermarkets. So I will make sure that those don't go to landfill. But Wayne, it's been a pleasure speaking to you. I'm sure we'll keep in touch as well. No worries. Thank you. So welcome back to the final part of this week's episode. Um, and even though it's a Wednesday, only halfway through the week in that sense, as we mentioned, it's been a great week. We've already done the success story of the week. No, it's still no klaxon. But Sarah, I think it would be good to get um, a little little taste of the business appetite for sustainability. So off the top of your head, and I am putting you on the spot here, um, almost a mini success story of the week. What kind of business has caught your eye this week in terms of a sustainability initiative? You're really being kind to me on this episode, um, but I think in keeping with the theme, we have seen a lot on on plastics over the past week or so, um, in that Waitrose has launched its completely packaging-free offer for the first time. A lot of supermarkets are doing this um, with fruit and veg, but Waitrose has scaled up this idea, often using like health stores or small independent shops where you can weigh out your own things like rice, beans... Um, pasta and then also laundry detergent and my personal favourite on this is wine and beer <laughs> as well. I'm really intrigued to go along and see how that is working and then also the success story that we are just about to discuss um, which is to do with Canary Wharf Group um, becoming recognised as a plastic free estate. Great, thank you for that Sarah. Um, really far around up. I've, I've missed the sustainability story of the week on these episodes. I know they're available and kind of more in-depth weekly formats on the on the website. It's always uplifting to hear it in person. Um, and you've already touched on the last interview of this episode. And so before we get into it, it's time to answer that question I posed earlier. Why did you take a photo of barefooted surfers in central London again? 
Right, so you're making me sound like I'm a complete weirdo paparazzo <laughs> with some kind of either foot or wetsuit fetish. Yeah, what you do in your spare time is completely up to you, Sarah. <laughs> or both thereof. Um, no, but Wednesday um, saw Surfers Against Sewage take what they call the creature um, to outside Westminster. So this is a model of a marine creature, looks kind of like a mix between a whale and a, and a seal. Um, and the message being that most of our oceans are unexplored but at the same time um, intensely polluted with plastic and the tagline is are we destroying things that we haven't even discovered yet um, and then following on from that members of Surfers Against, uh, Surfers Against Sewage got changed out of their wetsuits into their suits and um, headed across to Canary Wharf Group um, headquarters to award the business um, its plastic free status Okay and so we're about to hear from a well-known guest on this podcast in that sense, Martin Gettins. Um, and, you know, the plastic-free status you just mentioned, that's that's quite an unbelievable feat. Like, Canary Wharf commercial estate is, is not small. Um, it's it's quite, quite a beast in that sense. Um, and I'm really keen to hear more about it. So I'm going to hand straight over to Sarah's chat with Canary Wharf's Head of Sustainability, Martin Gettins, in full. So for this segment of the podcast, as we mentioned, I'm joined on the phone today by Martin Gettings, a stalwart on this podcast and the head of sustainability for Canary Wharf Group. How are you doing, Martin? Hi, Sarah. I'm doing very well today. Thank you very much. Fantastic. And um, yeah, if you're a regular ED reader, you'll know that Canary Wharf Group are up there uh, when it comes to sustainability leadership in terms of resources. Um, so they won Waste Management and Resource Efficiency at our Sustainability Leaders Awards for 2019. Um, and when I last went up to the estate earlier this week, actually, um, we were told that overall that estate recycles 18 tonnes of waste um, daily. And it's it's a really interesting month for you guys, isn't it? Because you've just got this um, plastic-free accreditation from um, Surface Against Sewage. Um, so I was hoping if you could give us a bit of insight into what, what exactly it means to be a plastic-free um, commercial estate and how, how you got to that point over the past couple of years. Yeah, um, obviously we've been, we've been running a, a, a campaign here called Breaking the Plastic Habit. And that's, um, that's kind of the umbrella, the umbrella piece of work that we've been done to sort of, sort of, um, to, you know, to trigger all of, all of the, the initiatives that, that we were doing. And um, any 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 of you sort of project managers out there will know that um, to have a set of criteria is always a is always a good thing to um, to work within, you know. And if you've got a target, um, it's even better. Um, so we 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 highlighted about a year ago. The I mean we we were aware of the work that Hugo Tagholm and Surfers Against Sewage were doing around um, towns and communities around around the UK, and we. We wondered whether um, the, the plastic-free community status could 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 actually be applied here at, at Canary Wharf, at, at, at the at, you know in our mini city. And when we looked at the criteria, um, we were quite um, we were quite pleasantly surprised to see that a number of the um, a number of the things that that, that 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 was required to gain this status were things that we were already doing in one sort of form or another, but. Mm-hmm. They weren't perhaps we weren't perhaps doing them at the scale that was required for the size of our estate. So we effectively um, we effectively set about going to achieve the, um, the the accreditation, which is which is obviously the plastic free community status. And the kind of tagline is um, is, is is freeing yourself of, of, of needless sort of single use plastic. And and, and we've always 
been very clear from the start that you know this isn't about removing all plastic from the estate because plastic is an absolutely essential part of our modern lives. There's there's no way that, that, that you know that, that we're going to be able to you know stop it being present in, in what we do. But but what we can stop, what we can do, is being irresponsible when it comes to plastic, and that's that's exactly what um, what the Surface Against Sewage Accreditation is all about. It's about just just communities thinking and working together to you know to drive some to drive some some meaningful change in this area and and that's what we've done i mean we we, we basically we, we couldn't do it alone we could, we only did it with 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 input from our business community and we had to um the magic number of, of businesses to involve in this was was 34 and at, at the last count i think we were up to about 47 and it's and it's grown all the time we've got more and more flagship partners coming on and wanting to be involved and, and basically each business has to has to commit to removing at least three items of single-use plastic um, permanently from their operations. Mm. So if you can imagine that, 47 or more businesses on the estate, and we're talking here, we're talking retailers, we're talking bars, restaurants, we're talking even some businesses and some, some large corporates. And um, when you when you do the maths and total it all up, it, it's it's over a million a million items of single-use plastic every year that's that's been you know that, that's no longer coming onto the estate. You know we've we've, we've literally um, you know taking them out of the hierarchy. Um, and then on top of the work that we were doing pre- previously with coffee cups and the like, we've, um, you know, it, it, in recycling the coffee cups, that's over, that's over sort of five million now. So mm. we have, even though it's quite, quite interesting statistics, we know it's just a drop in the ocean, but, but one thing it, it does do, it it, it it highlights the issue and it, and it, um, it helps raise the profile. And um, I think that's important in this too. I think it, I think it's given a lot of people a lot of confidence that they can go on to do other things. So yeah, we're um, we're very pleased with our plastic-free community status, and that's what that's kind of what it means. Mm. And then you were talking there about about how this could drive action um, more widely and start a bigger conversation, even though you are a mini city. So, and obviously, you guys have a sort of closed environment. There, I know people will be bringing things in and out via the tube and other public transport networks. But do you think that what you're doing could be replicated across a whole city um, like London? Yeah, yeah, it's a very good question. Um, I mean, we anything that, that you can do that we've done here can can be done anywhere. We're we're we're, we're an urban environment like like any other. Um, the the one thing that we perhaps benefit from is that is that um, like like a local authority we. You know, we take we take ownership of the you know the the, the space and the the area that, that we operate. Um, what you know, one 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 of the, the sort of the sort of challenges would be the coordination of that. I mean, we've done you know we 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 we've done a, a number of initiatives, but they've all been sort of coordinated under the under the one banner. Mm. And I see similar initiatives in in other cities in in the UK. Um, obviously, the the square mile challenge around the coffee cups and. I see, um, you know, water refill, water refill stations being installed, and and that's great. That, that's what we've done here. And I think it's what, what's what's been helpful for us is the fact that we've had this one sort of campaign and this one this one challenge to to work within. And I think that's what's kind of helped drive the momentum. The fact that we've we've pursued this um, this you know this plastic free community status, and it's really kind of it's really kind of um, drawn the teams together here and and the. Um, and the, the tenants and the occupiers as well have felt really involved in it, so it's it's been it's been a good way. I think that would be something I would I would suggest as a 
way of learning. I think what I'm trying to say is the, the initiatives are very similar, but the fact that we had a, a common mission and a common purpose is, is what's is what's bound it together and, 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 um, and made it the success that it has been so mm. far. Great. And then what, what do you think needs to happen to get that success and that common mission and that coordination and to broaden it out across not just yourselves but the rest of London and not just plastics but um, all, all resources? Is it, is it something that needs to happen in regards to policy, businesses, public behaviours or maybe just more investment in, in infrastructure? What, what would be on your wish list, Martin? Um, well, definitely all of the, the above. Thanks. You answered the question for us. Um, <laughs> But certainly, the, the number one thing is, is working together and collaborating. Um, we, you know, one of the, at the event that we had yesterday on World Environment Day, we had um, we, we invited in some some um, school children to have a, a youth takeover where they um, they posed um, the panel some challenging questions. And um, you know, one of the one of the one of the questions that was raised that you know how can we you know how can we move to a more sort of circular society when when all we have is um, is profit at the bottom line. And, and, I, and I guess we've got to move away from that. We've really got to reevaluate what value actually is, and you know what, what is it that's important. What is it that we're trying to achieve here? Um, you know, to achieve a circular economy, it, it, it is about um, it is about policy. It is about behaviours, but it's about it's it's more than that. It's about the will to want to, to want to drive it, and to want to work together, and to want to deliver it. And I think that's what um, that's what we. We're going to have to see more collaboration if we're going to move towards this more circular society. We've, we've definitely got to, um, we've, we've got to realise and we've got to take action and 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 work together to you know to achieve this. It's, uh, it's the only way we're going to do it. Great. Well, what a note to finish on. Thank you so much, Martin, for taking the time. I appreciate you must be very hectic this week <laughs> with everything that's yeah, going on. I'm actually I'm actually down in Cornwall um, from tonight, so uh, yeah. Great. Well, thank you for joining us. Have a great trip. Yeah, will do, Sarah. All the best. Thank you. So, there you have it. It's amazing to think we're now starting to enter an era of plastic-free communities. Um, hopefully there's more that crop up around the country. And also, hopefully it raises awareness on other issues um, and it kind of creates just more sustainable ways of living in general. I think you touched on the Waitrose stuff earlier. Mm-hmm. I was reading a piece um, posted up on LinkedIn from the Rochdale Herald titled Middle-Class Mums Save Planet by Driving to Waitrose in Massive Range Rovers to Buy a Loose Cereal. <laughs> I think it shows that good intentions around sustainability from a consumer point of view can still miss the mark somewhat. So it's a tough job for corporates on the consumer education front, but uh, one, that, one that definitely needs um, a bit of work. Um, but we are just about out of time for this uh, episode. Sarah, what's what's on your radar for the next couple of weeks? It's a busy one. It's a busy one for me. So I've got a couple of um, events to be heading out for, a couple of other podcast segments to go to London um, and to record. And then at the end of the month, I'm having a well-deserved week off, um, during which I will hopefully be moving house. Oh, so that is my priority as well as as well as... Things ED, of course. Well, in the in the theme of the week, please, you know, don't don't be going throwing stuff from your old house away, reuse, recycle, charity shops, all that stuff. I mean, you're probably better than that than me. I probably <laughs> probably don't need to lecture you. Um, as for me, I I'm actually taking part in a run. Um, I've been told it's linked to the Great Pacific Garbage Patch, which is obviously you know located in that specific ocean. I'm a bit worried about it. I haven't had much information other than it's a run about that. 
uh, issue and despite my claims that I'm no messiah, I'm very much unable to run, walk on water at all. Um, so if you don't hear from me shortly, please get the lifeguards out uh, looking for me. Um, but all will be revealed um, about that run and the reason I'm doing it on the next episode of the Sustainable Business Covered podcast. And as a reminder, these episodes can be listened to via the ED website or you can subscribe, download and comment via iTunes or Spotify. Just search Sustainable Business Covered. Um, but that's, that's it. So until next time, it's a goodbye from Sarah. Goodbye. And it's a goodbye from me. Goodbye. Goodbye.